Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nomadic Diaries. Today, this is a little episode of Sporadic Diaries, which is um, based on the National Podcasters Posting Month, NAPAD POMO, and uh, this is just for the month of November. But these are evergreen. These are evergreen readings from Life in the Camel Lane, a book that I wrote and was published in uh, 2020. This is just an excerpt talking about uh, the beautiful life that uh, we enjoyed and how much we enjoyed having family come to visit us because we'd never had family come to visit us in any other place. And so it was thrilling to us uh, that John's brother came and visited us and we had the following adventures. So I just wanted to share a little bit of this on um, this month. Brothers, birding, and beauty. Rugged traditional carpets were thrown across the sand like large leaves. We sat facing the line where heaven and earth seemed to meet while the setting sun floated downward like a giant hazy balloon. As it sank closer and closer to the horizon, I was entertained by the live and deeply personal fall country show going on around me. Sitting on the sand, watching the huge red sun dip below the horizon, I heard but two sounds. One was a distant bell attached to a camel heading for a makeshift wooden fence in the compound he called home. The other was a whoop whoop of the lure line with a treat on it that was being circled by the Saudi falconers, with a falcon swooping past the lure at over 50 miles per hour. Falconry, training in the desert, a mystical pursuit with one of nature's fiercest and fastest creatures, bliss. Right there, right then, I felt like I was suspended somehow between two worlds. The bright new technical 21st century was clearly in evidence. Our falconry hosts had driven up in the most up-to-date and beautiful brand new land cruisers, fully equipped with sophisticated tech and telemetry systems for tracking the birds. These birds were valued at several thousand dollars. One does not want to take a chance that they might just fly away. Drinking Arabic coffee, eating dates, cross-legged on those rough, hairy carpets, I found even breathing seemed to still, like life was happening in slow motion. I was struck by that feeling of weightlessness and timelessness, as though we could choose in that moment to leap backward to Muhammad's time 1500 years ago, or forward to a distant and as yet undefined future. Very occasionally, we landed into an activity that embraced and even sought to bridge the two centuries we were living in. One of these experiences was a magical 10 days in November 2008, during my brother-in-law's visit to the kingdom. Rob Palmer is a world-renowned falcon photographer, and his visit revealed a window into the curious world of Arabic tradition and culture we were not even aware of. Rob was on a worldwide photography tour, taking pictures for Sky Hunters, a coffee table book on birds of prey. Prior to his arrival in kingdom, he had visited Spain, Oman, Dubai, and Abu Dhabi, to meet falconers and study their methods and traditions, including the birds' feeding, training, and flying exercises, which varied across the globe. 
When Rob asked to visit us, he also asked if we could arrange to meet some Saudi falconers. John's assistant, Maesa, contacted two interested cousins to make the connections. John, Rob, and I now sat on rough mats, surrounded by three Saudi professionals and seven hawks resting quietly on their sturdy perches secured in the sand. I was surprised by the air of affection and honor the falconers extended the birds. After its hood was removed, each bird would be released for training using a lure, a small piece of meat attached to a leather cord. The birds would dive, dip, and maneuver at top speed to catch the lure, while the falconer's job was to assure that the lure was just out of their reach. After the training, the Saudis would carefully take their falcon onto their glove and feed them treats with the greatest affection. Falconry records in Arabia date to the 17th century BC, and the Arabic world has one of the largest communities of falconers anywhere. Falconry is a mix of sport, tradition, and cultural significance. Many falconers are trained at a young age to handle the birds and they grow up in families who camp, fly their birds and spend the remainder of the day reciting their stories. Falconry requires patience, flexibility and a deep sense of relationship between the bird and the man with a strong dose of modern days, modern day technology thrown in. One of the common denominators of the Saudi falconers we met was their excitement to share their sport and make us welcome. For many Saudis, it is an all-consuming lifestyle or an idyllic respite from busy Western workplace stress. Many executives working at high-level positions in corporations can be found out in the desert in the evenings and on the weekends, far away from the madding crowds communing with nature and flying their birds. Sadly, it tends to be a masculine sport and women do not tend to take an interest. However, there are plenty of female veterinarians and other professionals who support the sport. Saudi falconers are proud to personally demonstrate the dignity of their birds and the deep-seated traditions going back hundreds of years. They're normally willing to interact with expats to share their passion. Deirdre remembered an incident when her family was celebrating a Thanksgiving feast in the desert, dozens of miles from the compound. A small white Toyota pickup, commonly used for transporting camels, came bouncing across the horizon and joined the assemblage of vehicles around their encampment. Three energetic young Saudi men sprang from the truck and proceeded to practice their English on the group while they offered a couple of falcons for inspection. They let the kids put on the falconer's gloves and hold the birds. Their willingness to share their novel gift was delightful. As an extra surprise, they returned the next day with the quintessential camel for the boys to ride. The Bird Hotel Another gem of an experience occurred when Rob, John, and I visited the falconry store in Damam. Finding the store, even with Saudi guides, proved challenging in the dark evening as we plunged down lanes, raced across parking lots, 
careening around the oldest and oddest parts of Damam. Maesa came along for the ride, but chose to wait in the car. I imagine few Westerners had visited this area, and certainly the shop owners were unused to having a Western woman in the building. Tolerant and modestly welcoming as usual, they acknowledged my presence only with the slight lowering of their eyelashes. Rob and Maesa's cousins proceeded to have long conversations with the shopkeeper on the technology subjects of falconry. Rob naturally assumed the role of professor and technical translator for us. The shop was packed full to the rafters with falconry gear, hoods, gloves and lures, telemetry, receivers, tracking devices and high-tech transmitters. The reliance of the sport on a mixture of extremely high and low tech equipment was fascinating. My gift, or bagshish, that night was a tiny handmade leather hood, beautifully hand-stitched, which even now I treasure. After visiting the store, we were driven to a dark, spooky compound. There were no street lamps, and it felt like a scene from a B-movie. Our female guide again declined to accompany us into the compound. However, as usual, the Saudi fellows encouraged me to participate. I felt some reluctance, but armed in the ubiquitous abaya and headscarf, I took a deep breath and stepped over the threshold. I was instantly entranced by another world. Initially, it seemed dark and somewhat disorganized and dingy. It took a while for my eyes to adjust to the dimly lit shadowy areas. Inside, there were a couple of nondescript makeshift buildings with an open-air majlis dotted with low upholstered sofas in traditional Saudi fabric, well-worn and lumpy-looking. Five large and heavily bearded Saudi men lounged around smoking a hookah, their mumblings muted yet constant. Our host, leading the way, had prepared them in Arabic for a visit from several Westerners. Of course, there was much alhamdulillahing and preliminary explanations as to the reason for our visit and who exactly were Rob and John. I, of course, was just there as a witness or an afterthought. I assumed this was the equivalent of a pub in Scotland or Ireland, a third place where these people met and discussed their passion for falconry. I sensed a subconscious reaction to my presence, but as with so many of my interactions with the Saudis, not a single bit of body language was evident. They barely glanced darkly at me, then continued their conversation, smoking the hookah pipes by their sides. I was to be tolerated, not welcomed, at least not yet. They were not going to challenge my pleasant presence into what felt like an inner sanctum. Inner sanctum. We moved to an adjacent building where approximately 30 hooded molting birds were tethered to perches in the middle of an enormous sandbox. 
The birds had been tethered there for approximately four months during the summer, while their feathers grew back in preparation for the upcoming flying season. Most evenings, their owners would check on the birds, tell war stories about their conquests, and catch up with local falconry gossip. After some halting discussion involving translation by one of Maesa's cousins, everyone relaxed and started to become curious and ask questions. Rob's expertise on falcons, including names, details, and stories, carried us through the encounter comfortably. Ultimately, one of the bird owners warmed up enough to invite me to hold one of the falcons using a glove. The birds are highly intelligent. You can almost sense them sounding out feelers. Holding the falcon was easy. Being in such close proximity to Saudi men on their native turf was surprisingly unnerving and disquieting for me. I felt like an ugly interloper who had barged in on some sacred male ritual. This was one of the very few moments that I can recall feeling deeply foreign and alien. I had lived in the kingdom for 14 years at this point, Yet, in a sense, the country was growing and becoming an even bigger mystery. What other hidden depths would be revealed to me before I departed? Teenagers are teenagers the world over. In the middle of a bleak, barren, and uncompromisingly boring desert in Bahrain stands the Tree of Life a 500-year-old acacia tree that issues its sprawling branches from the desert with a fierce determination. As the sun set the day we were there, the sky became hazier, a deep fuzzy gray with a giant orange sun in the background. Rob, John, and I met a local man there who told us there were several Bahraini teenagers flying their falcons nearby. We changed directions, quickly pulled up to a ragtag group of all shapes and sizes. Most of them were proudly clutching their falcons and prattling away in Arabic. After we greeted them, Rob waded into their midst and quickly became the established expert. With no Arabic at all, Rob helped them identify their falcons. They laughed and asked questions in Arabish for a while. I was fascinating to watch a common passion become the bridge for a boisterous conversation and cross-cultural meeting. This was a terrific conclusion to a great week of immersion and exposure to the mystery of falconry and its significance in Arabia. We loved Robert's visit. It made the place more real. Time spent with falconers of all ages had opened our eyes to reveal one of the great wonders of this magnificent country, so carefully hidden in plain sight. Being exposed to the raw nature of ancient Saudi was a tonic to the expat malaise that constantly threatened to descend. We were treated to several copies of Sky Hunters the following year. Half of the book's photos were taken by Rob, and about 10 of them were taken during his time with us. 
I just like to say that that was an absolutely magical experience uh, going out in the desert three or four times, watching the sunset on the horizon. I can still smell the smell and the sound of just the bird's wings and the lure and the whoop whooping of the lure. It it was such a, an impressionable experience. And I think that we have to take the time to remember and reflect on these experiences because they can become deeply transformational for us. They change us at depth because they change our mindset and our thinking, but they also are lodged in our senses because I can recall the smell of the desert, the sound of the camel bell, the sound of everything that was happening, and the great delight in discovering that these um, Saudi professionals who appeared so Western during the day, spoke in English all the time, and then um, got out of their Western clothes, threw on their their Arabic thobes, got in their very, very brand new, um, wonderful uh, suburbans, and headed out to the desert for such peace and quiet. And I wondered where the women went for the equivalent of that. Of course, they had large families. They were extremely tribal. They moved together, lived together, frequently had compounds where several families lived together. And I have to say, it was such a joy to see the inside of that uh, falconry tradition. So just for today, we would like to say thank you for bringing your ears to listen to this episode. We hope that you have enjoyed it and it gave you a wee bit of insight into life in the camel lane. And thank you for listening to Nomadic Diaries. Please share, like, subscribe, and we appreciate any reviews. But wherever you are, we hope that the secrets of international travel are landing well and that you are having a wonderful day. Thank you. This is Doreen saying ma salama, which is cheerio goodbye in Arabic.